Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View. Look at that. I welcomed our listeners before I said hello to you, co-host. I, mean, I am I am like flabbergasted that that happened. <laughs> it's like after nearly five years, we're finally learning how to podcast. One in 100 shows, I remember what we're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think so often we just end up sort of nerding out together. And then remember later that, oh, yeah, that was recorded and <laughs> goes out to the world for everyone to listen to. Oh, it's good times. Good times. Good times. Uh, how's it going? I, I Should I ask about the house? I mean, it's a situation over here. I'll be honest. <clears throat> but we are still under contract. Um, so that's a good thing. And um, we have somebody else who wants to put in a contract in the event this contract falls through, which makes me feel really good. Like, that is a great thing. That's a good thing. So, yeah, the only problem is that we're kind of getting to a timing perspective where, I mean, we might be homeless. <laughs> do you have Do you have a backup plan? Like, throw everything in storage and go stay with somebody? Yeah, we have family with space and we could certainly rent a place um but we don't want to do that yeah. so it's like the the not fun yeah. when we moved to atlanta we stayed in corporate housing for three months while we were looking for a house um and not for lack of trying we'd actually come and and done a like house hunting trip beforehand and put some offers in on houses and they all fell through so we ended up in corporate housing and it was like we only had one of our two kids at the time but we were in this like one bedroom condo and it was it was uh an experience definitely yep. an experience. the word i used is situation uh, yeah but yeah so we're being pretty picky about the things that we're looking for and i think that we're getting to a desperate point where we're not going to get to be so picky and we're just going to have to choose something we're gonna have to take some wish list items off and uh choose something so we'll see are there there wish list items that are like but i could build it items yeah there are um so we have a big family and then we are really excited that matt's youngest brother who lived in california with the brother that passed um, doesn't want to be in California all by himself anymore, although he has a girlfriend, but you know, like they don't have any family out there. So they're actually moving back and we told them they could live with us, which we're very excited about. Um, because we miss uncle Andrew and uncle Malcolm will be very exciting to have in the house, but, um, it does create an additional, uh, two people because it's him and his, um, 
and to adults, and adults sort of take up space mm-hmm. differently yeah, than kids do. do. Like it's and it's a harder thing, I think, to find a house that it can accommodate. Yep. Like for adults compared to like it'd be easier to accommodate five kids and two adults than four adults and three kids. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. we're looking for a house that has two owner suites slash master baths um, and that kind of stuff in a good school district in a certain area of Northern Virginia. And it's a seller's market. So sometimes if we find things, they like I found something today that had only been um, online for three days and it already had three contracts. So it's um it's interesting but we'll we'll be fine we'll be fine everything will be great i will continue to keep my fingers um like figuratively crossed for you because <laughs> it would get very uncomfortable if i was actually crossing my fingers all the time well thanks for asking well i uh turned in almost all of my book dun, dun, dun. so i turned in i think when we talked last week i had just turned in all the science or i was like going to turn in all the science the next day. It was something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I turned in the next five chapters are all sort of transition from the uh, like epic encyclopedic (laughs) science content to like, this is um, it's kind of like if you took the paleo approach and the paleo approach cookbook and smushed them into one book, um, but made it general health instead of autoimmune disease. And so I've got five chapters that are actually like transition from all of the science content to the recipes. And I'm just in uh, recipe formatting purgatory right now. Um, but that's, I basically have the recipes to turn in and they're all done. It's just like, you know, checking for um, typos. There's probably eight. I still haven't actually typed up at all. Um, and I've got to trim some because, of course, I've got too many. Um, so I've got to figure out, like, which are the ones that are, you know, optional and don't need to be in this book. Um, and then I've still got the meal plans to, to put together. But it's 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 coming. It's coming. It's good. It's, I'm just I'm in that like, huh, all right. It's just it, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. And I just got to just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Um so, but it's, it's nice to be, I'm so ready to move on. Like I'm, and it, of course I don't get to, like, I have to do all the editing and, you know, all the graphic design happens and there's still a lot of work and we're going to be doing a, um, a bridged audiobook version of this book as well. So Woo, you can't, that's exciting. Right. So I have, I figure 40 or 50 hours of <laughs> recording studio work ahead of me which will be awesome. And that's just, we're doing an abridged version um, in large part because like recipes in an audiobook is a bit silly. <laughs> um, but also, you know, tables of numbers in an audiobook is a bit silly too. So it was sort of my, my proposition of like, Hey, you know, I know we really want to do this audiobook, but I think there's certain things that are just not going to translate. How about we do an abridged version and we're actually going to have my editor go through and do an edit for, audio so really like go through and be like yeah this this is sort of this gets you know too much quoting of numbers cut this part out and try and make sure that it's got a really nice flowing narrative but i think given how long it is i think it's still going to be like a 40 hour audiobook at least so um yeah so there's still a lot more work but i'm already in that like i want to move on to the next project part of this i i remember reading um Eat the yolks on audio. And I loved being able to do that because I just don't read books um, the way that I did years ago before I had 
three kids and 17 full-time jobs. And um, it was so fantastic to be able to like absorb that resource in a format that I could. So I think that's great. I'm excited. I'll read the, I am going to listen <laughs> to the audiobook. Well, I think too, one of the nice things about doing an audiobook is, and one of, I got asked many times to do an audiobook for the Paleo Approach, but so much of the visuals in that book are key to explaining the material. And one of the things that I've done with Paleo Principles is actually think about the audiobook as I'm writing from the very beginning. Um, and so that's sort of changed the formula. But, you know, people learn in different ways. So, you know, some people learn better by reading and some people learn better by hearing. And I, I feel like, you know, next thing I need to do is like make a video, a 40 hour long video, I guess. But um, but I feel like doing an audiobook. Um, even if it's more of a, if it's abridged, it's almost more of a companion to the print book, but even doing that, I think it, it caters more to different types of learners. So I think it makes the material more accessible, which to me, that's what this is all about, right? You know, I, I've, my, my new, um, my new way of really quickly explaining, uh, what my approach to all of this is, is that I actually believe the key to improving public health is scientific literacy. And so I am taking the time to create that entire scientific foundation that informs our day-to-day choices. And um, so if I'm, if I'm treating it like um, a, you know, broad foundation of scientific material, then that means that the more different ways I can make that accessible, hopefully the more people it's going to help. So that's the whole rationale behind doing, doing that. So I think that's going to be my, my August in a recording studio after the book goes to print. There are worse ways to spend in August. It's true. The kids will be in school already by then. So, so Matt just brought me my tea with grass fed heavy cream in it. And it reminded me that we might want to get on topic. Um, that was an excellent segue. <laughs> Uh, so it's like woot for Segway Queen. Um, yes, we should definitely get on topic. Um, this is a, a question that um, we received that that I actually think, um, you know, the question is really specifically about dairy quality. But I think there's also a broader conversation to have here about um, trying to balance qual- you know, food quality priorities with, with budget and um, how do we – make the best choices we can with a limited budget. And I think that's, you know, that's a challenge that most of us face in the paleo community. Most of us are faced with, boy, I would really like to be able to buy this amazing, you know, pinnacle of food quality perfection, but it's ridiculous expensive. What are my other options? What is going to be the best use of of my money in terms of investment in my health through food? So um, why don't I start by reading this question and then we can um, maybe tackle the dairy quality aspect directly and then see where we go from there. I am so down. Let's do this thing. So I have a question about dairy. I follow the autoimmune protocol and have been able to reintroduce some foods. One of them is butter. 
living in Canada, we unfortunately don't have access to grass-fed butter as readily as the U.S. This means that it is very hard to find any grass-fed butter or dairy products. And when I do, at a rare specialty health food store, grass-fed dairy products are very expensive and very much out of our budget, even though we have a set of large we have a set of large budget for high quality nutrient dense foods. I've been eating butter regularly since being pregnant and only buy Canada grade A quality butter with cream and sea salt as the ingredients. I tolerate this well and seem to be craving this throughout my recent pregnancy. Is consuming this butter still a wise choice? In terms of other dairy products that I would like to eventually try and reintroduce, what should I look for? Especially when grass-fed is not an option, do the same principles apply in terms of grass-fed versus conventional beef? Should I be purchasing homogenized or skim milk for my husband who does well with dairy? Should we aim to consume dairy on a less frequent basis and buy the more expensive cheeses, still not perfect or grass-fed, from the deli section of the grocery store that have less added ingredients rather than the classic large brick of brand name cheese. Any information would be greatly appreciated. So first and foremost, I want to remind everybody that paleo is not a religion. It does not have dogma. The paleo principles, as I'm sure Sarah can define them better than anybody else, are a focus on anti-inflammatory foods um, that add nutrition and and value to your life. So that looks different for everybody, but the founding principles are no grains, no dairy, no sugar, um, no legumes. I'm missing one. Was that just nightshades for me? Um, (laughs) So, you know, when you're looking at expanding your paleo template um, to, let's say, primal by adding dairy, if it works for you or whatever the case may be, um, there are a thousand names for this kind of ancestral eating. Um, obviously, you know, going grass fed and going organic, um, going local, all of these things are fantastic, but it's not a written requirement to do that. And I know Sarah will get into the science of why those things are beneficial to us. Um, and especially from my perspective, where our family tries to focus is on, um, fruits and vegetables that have the most amount of pesticides or toxins on them or the dirty dozen. And then um, also on our foods that are high in fat. So for me, butter is one of those things I don't compromise on, but I do have the luxury of really accessible grass-fed butter. In the U.S., uh, Costco carries Kerrygold butter, which is grass-fed, and it doesn't get any more affordable or accessible, in my opinion, than being able to get something... um, from Costco. And there's also like Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, you know, almost every single grocery, even my Target now carries it. So um, it's unfortunate that that is inaccessible for you. I think the other thing that I would recommend to broaden horizons is to see if there are um, local farmers or vendors, like maybe let's say in the wintertime, you can't access your farmer's market where you would normally find something like this. If you keep in touch with your farmer, um, you can find out they still make some, but just not enough to go to a farmer's market or the farmer's market's closed, um, how to access that stuff in the wintertime. I know in my area, we have a lot of like CSAs, um, both for vegetables as well as meat farms. And um, those are a really great way to kind of um, make it through the wintertime when things might not be so readily available here. (sighs) 
you want to jump in, Sarah? I'm sure I'll have more to say, but I just wanted to kind of lay the foundation there. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, unfortunately, um, this person didn't tell us where in Canada she lives. There are certain areas of Canada where dairy is grass fed or it's not. So it's pastured, but not 100 percent grass fed. So the cows spend a lot of time on pasture, but they're given additional feed. So they've got, um, you know, uh, what like troughs full of of a grain or, or hay out on pasture. And then they also have um, feed given to them in the barns. And so, but they are outside for, for a fair amount of time, which does definitely improve the quality of the milk. So they are getting some green grass so that increases the healthy fats in the milk. So more omega-3s, more conjugated linoleic acid. They're outside, so their milk contains more vitamin D. Um, and they just tend to be, you know, healthier, healthier animals. And that's depending on where in Canada, that is more standard practice there than it is in America. Um, but it's not necessarily the same everywhere. So there are places where the cows spend most of their time in a barn. Um, but, um, so that's, you know, like, for example, I grew up on Vancouver Island, um, Vancouver Island, uh, dairy, all of those cows are supplemented, feeded, they're given supplemental feed, but they're pastured. So that dairy is definitely higher quality dairy than the, you know, conventional dairy that we can get at a grocery store, you know, locally to me now in Atlanta, Georgia. So that's sort of one thing to know that's a little bit different about Canadian dairy versus typical American dairy is that those, those cows are spending typically a fair bit of time outside. um, And that definitely improves the nutritional value of of the milk. So um, I think, you know, when we're talking about dairy, um, one of the things that I did in Paleo Principles was I have a whole section for the foods that are unequivocally awesome and a whole section for foods that are unequivocally uh, terrible. <laughs> and then a whole section for the foods for which the science is not you know, super cut and dry. There's some checks in the pros column. There's some checks in the cons column um, that they may work for some people and may not work for others. And dairy is in that middle ground area because there's actually some really compelling nutrition in good quality dairy. Uh, Good quality dairy has um, some fat soluble vitamins that are really important like vitamin A and vitamin D and vitamin K2. So you know, very good bone health, fat soluble vitamins and even some vitamin E. Um, they've of course got minerals, right? We're used to thinking about milk for calcium, but it's, it's got a, a variety of minerals and, um, and some good fats. So quality dairy has, uh, omega-3 fats, um, and has, you know, it's one of the top sources of conjugated linoleic acid, which is a big heart healthy, actually like a natural trans fat. And so the, you know, I think there's, when you start looking at high quality dairy, um, you're really looking at a very different food compared to conventional and especially conventional low fat dairy. So a lot of the things in dairy that are really beneficial for us are in the fat. Um, if those animals are animals that are getting some green grass and are outside. Um, now the issue with dairy is really the fact that it's, um, sensitivity is really high. So lactose intolerance, um, 
depends on your cultural background. So in, you know, Caucasian Americans, it's about 5%. But if you have African American or Asian heritage, um, the lactose intolerance rate could be as high as 90%. Um, allergy rate is somewhere on the order of 4 to 6%, which is really high. And intolerance to dairy is very, very high. So there was one study that looked at people with symptoms of IBS. So they were having gastrointestinal symptoms and they uh, did full blood panels and looked at um, how, like what they had IgG antibodies against. Now, what this study actually did was it had those people either eliminate all the foods that they had IgG reactions to or eliminate random foods. And those people didn't know if they were eliminating the foods they actually had reactions to or if they were if they were in this control group that was just and by the way here eliminate all these things and then they looked to see how gastrointestinal symptoms resolved and they actually found that it it didn't help gastrointestinal symptoms in these IBS sufferers to be eliminating the foods that they had IgG reactions to but what was really interesting to me was to look at the frequency of reactions to certain foods and dairy was up like 89% it was super high um, and so, you know, that's obviously not, you know, those are people with GI symptoms. They're not necessarily representative of the population at large, but there's definitely, you know, that's, that's a little red flag when you think of, you know, nuts, which are also highly allergenic and, and, um, intolerance rates for nuts are really, really high, but nuts were like 50% and dairy was way higher than that. So that's the big red flag of, you know, intolerance to dairy is probably, a lot more common than we really think. So let's look at this part of the question where um, the person asking it says, she does great with butter and her husband does great with dairy. Um, I think um, the idea of going to skim milk, um, I think you're still missing out on the fat soluble vitamins that are in, there's not going to be as much in conventional dairy. Uh, the fat profile won't be won't be as great, but there's still some good stuff in there. Um, so I don't think going to skim is necessarily the best plan. Um, but I think, you know, if you really do feel good on it and you feel good with the, the level of quality that you have access to, um, I think roll with that. I mean, I, I would even expand that statement to any food that's not technically – paleo, I'm using air quotes, I know no one can see the air quotes, but um, we get so wrapped up in this community with labeling a food as a yes food or a no food. And I think we, you know, when we talk about indiv individuality, you know, oh, we always talk about individuality in terms of macronutrients, right? And it's always to explain whatever macronutrient regime some person wants to be on and they'll say, oh, well, this is my individual experimentation, blah, blah, blah. But I think where individuality actually really comes into play, it comes into play in terms of tolerance of these middle ground foods, because these are foods that have some kind of compelling nutrition, but maybe some things in there that are not great. So, you know, they're they're highly allergenic. That's not great. Or maybe they have like tomatoes also falls into this middle ground food, really compelling uh, vitamins and phytochemicals, but also some really inflammatory compounds. So I think when we're really talking about individual variability, you know, the variability between person to person and where, you know, genetics and lifestyle factors influence our optimal diet, what we're really talking about isn't 
necessarily how many grams of carbs or fat or protein is going to work optimally for you, although there's a, a certain amount of that. But I think it's more in the these middle ground foods and whether or not these are foods that really do make you feel better versus foods that you tolerate and you're fine, but it's in the context of an ov- overall sort of healthy diet versus foods that really aren't working for you. And so I think that if you can really unequivocally say this this food is working for you, then you don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel like you have to rationalize that. You don't need to feel like you can't use the the label paleo to describe your diet anymore because you include dairy or rice or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, and I think, um, you know, knowing that 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 food makes you f- feel good is the most important thing here. So I think it's a really good distinction that you have between foods that make you feel good versus foods that um, don't make you feel terrible. Don't bother you. Yeah. yeah. So for example, um, I thought that I had uh, a reaction to eggs. I think people who've been listening to the podcast for a really long time will remember um, when I went AIP, I thought that eggs were a thing that bothered me. Um, and then I started just eating um, so the reason that I thought that is because I started eating soup for breakfast and I immediately felt so much better. And then I, um, a couple mornings had like sausage, just plain, um, we get like these microwavable Jones brand from Costco, um, which are not the best things for you, but in a vacuum wouldn't bother me. And I had them first thing in the morning and I did not do well with it at all. And it wasn't because that the meat bothered me at was because of my digestive system, because I don't have a gallbladder, wasn't doing well with fat in the morning without any digestive enzymes stored up to digest that in the morning. And the soup was pre-digested for me and had a lot of nutrition and nutritional benefits associated with it. And that was why I felt so much better on soup. And so then when I reincorporated eggs in a way that um, wasn't just you know, like a fried egg in the morning, um, which was upsetting my stomach. Um, and I had, let's say a hard boiled egg with carrot sticks or something, um, with some carbs and not so much fat, I didn't react at all. And so I think it's really important for people to, to, to think about the context of these foods that don't work for them. And I know, um, eggs is another one of those foods that a lot of people, um, are sensitive to and that they want to reintroduce when they come off of AIP and you want to find the best product, but, uh, pastured eggs are really expensive. And so it's oftentimes one of those things that, um, people give on, especially in the winter time when, you know, they're, they're much more difficult to find, um, locally or from a farmer or something like that. So I just think, um, you know, I will echo your point about skim milk not being a suggestion that I would do. I know she was asking about her husband who does well in it. But for me, if you're going to do dairy at all, definitely seek to find the benefits of what dairy is offering. And that is the fat-soluble vitamins and the synergistic value that it has with the other foods that you're consuming as well. And so if you're, you know, consuming if you're putting cheese on something that has vegetables and stuff like that, you don't, you don't want the reduced fat version of that because you, you want the benefits of the natural state and the fat that will help you absorb all the vitamins of the other foods that you're eating as well. So um, to me, that would be kind of a, 
a non-option. I it, if my boys were to drink milk, I would definitely choose um, like a a very high quality whole milk. And even at that, we we couldn't tolerate that. We we don't drink it ourselves. Um, we do heavy cream. Um, and when we run out from the CSA that we participate in, from um, the local, we actually found a um, grass-fed raw um, way to do this in Virginia. And it has to do with like buying a portion of a cow and blah, blah, blah. Because there's all these rules here, which is so weird. Um, but if you don't have access to that kind of stuff, my point is when we run out, we are able to find, um, you know, organic grass fed, like horizon brand. That wouldn't be my number one choice in an everyday basis, but it's certainly better than other options. Um, and so that can be a fallback that we can find, um, at like target or something like that. I thought so, there's actually a really good, uh, sorry, this is a little tangent, right. but right when you've mentioned horizon brand, um, for our American listeners, organic milk in America, those cows have a mandatory amount of time that they have to spend outside on pasture. And I don't know exactly what it is. Um, but that is very similar to the, um, sort of, more common Canadian model of, of dairy where those cows are, they're supplemented, they're given supplemental feed and that feed includes grains, but they're also spending time outside and out on pasture. And so that definitely improves the nutritive value and the fat profile in milk. So if you're in America and grass-fed milk is either not accessible to you or it's too expensive, organic is a really good way to split the difference. Cool. Anyway, yeah, so... My answer is the same as your answer, but I wanted to echo some of the points that you made that I think were really important. And also, as you and I have said before, sometimes you can be telling yourself that you do okay on something Mm -hmm. um, and not actually. You know, I kind of had to have a heart to heart with myself um, recently kind of looking at overall what what was my consumption and it was a large variety of foods that didn't bother me as much instead of a large variety <laughs> of foods that make me feel my best. And so, you know, I'm back to a mug of broth in the morning with my vital um, veggie smoothie. So I'm getting like a double dose of collagen and I'm getting veggies. Um And, you know, I have to find ways for me uh, being very busy right now and not having full access to uh, the kitchen like we normally would to find shortcuts. But it got to a point where I was like, okay, well, we've been doing this for so long. It's not just like a few weeks to get by like we would on vacation. It's now become like two months. I need to figure out how to, you know, really get back to those foods that make me feel my best versus the foods that are just not so bothersome because it does build up and it was building up in me. I could feel it in my bones and stuff like that. And, you know, just my overall mentality. So I think it's, it's important that stuff can kind of sneak up on you. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, Whoa, wait a minute. I haven't been eating salads and soup. Who am I? Um, (laughs) So just consider those things. Well, so it's also a sort of a worthwhile emphasis on the point that you just made um, that, how well we tolerate, let's call them suboptimal foods, is very dependent on things like the overall nutrient density of our diet, the overall vegetable content of our diet, the overall fat profile of our diet, because those things really in- intensely affect our gut microbiomes. 
Um, it's dependent on our stress levels. It's dependent on how well we're sleeping. It's dependent on how active we are. It's also dependent on our health histories, on our specific genetics. Like there's other things that, that are at play there, but it, it does kind of mean for, um, those foods that, you know, I've got some foods that I can tolerate when everything like eggs, when everything is, is in place and, once things start to fall apart, I will start reacting to eggs. Um, and eggs are delicious. So I totally take advantage of those periods of time when, you know, I'm, I'm sleeping well, my stress is well managed, I'm active, I'm spending lots of time outside. Um, you know, my, my diet is always super nutrient dense and, and crazy high in vegetables. So that's, that's usually not a variable for me. But, but it is sort of important to think about when we're looking at what, whether or not this one individual food is going to have a role in our diet of taking a step backwards and kind of just looking at what is the quality of my overall diet? Is my overall diet nutrient sufficient? Meaning am I getting all of the nutrients that I need in adequate quantities to be healthy? And, you know, is this food taking away from something else that's more nutritious that I might have instead? Or is it, you know, adding some variability, some flavor, you know, maybe it's got some, some nutritive value on its own. Is this food, you know, is it taking away from my diet or is it adding to my diet? Is this a quality of life food, meaning I'm only eating it because it's tasty and I like it? Or is it a food that's actually nourishing my body? And when we can kind of take that broader perspective when we're evaluating the merits of one specific food that can help give us um, a better perspective in terms of really determining is this an everyday food is this a sometimes food is this a never food and I think that you know making those choices it's it's not always simple and it's sometimes a moving target but really being able to take a objective or as objective as we can be view of, of those types of decisions is really important. Have we, have we like beat this topic? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's probably worth sort of ending on, you know, and we've talked about food quality and budget priorities before, but, but maybe ending on just a quick summary of, um, you know, it's, it's not going paleo does not have to break the bank. There are plenty of inexpensive options that are paleo foods. Um, but these super high quality versions of a lot of our foods do cost more. There may be money savings from elsewhere. If you're transitioning to paleo, you might save money because you're not eating out and you're not getting takeout you know, and you're cooking more at home, that might be saving money. Um, but at the end of the day, making food choices within this framework of eating lots of vegetables, eating meat and seafood, thinking about omega-3s, um, thinking about healthy fats, avoiding processed and refined foods, you know, avoiding grains, avoiding legumes, um, you know, maybe dairy or at least dairy at the beginning until you can really establish how it's working for you. That is going to give most people so much, um, you know, 
so many health improvements out of just how much more nutrient dense that diet is. And even though you can buy all of those foods at a conventional grocery store, conventionally raised, non-organic, I mean, clearly the organic, you know, local, in-season, grass-fed, pasture-raised, all of those things are obviously better. But you can get 90% of the way there with just your, you know, your Safeway or your Kroger or your whatever it is. And, um, and so I think it's, we get kind of wrapped up in perfection. And Stacey, what's your favorite phrase? Uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Yep, that's it. Okay. I was like, is that my favorite phrase? All right. It's what I like a lot. Um, and your favorite I, I, phrase that was completely apropos at that moment. I should have given it yes. the extra little. Well, and I do have to say that um, I don't claim that as my own because I totally stole it from Rob Wolf. And so here you have us and you have Rob Wolf all saying the same thing. So what more could you look for? Exactly. So I think just that little bit of a reminder of, um, you know, you make the best choices you can given your specific situation, right? That includes your budget, that includes your access to certain foods, that includes um, your health history, what's motivating you to make these choices. And you, you, you know, part of this is figuring out what is optimal for you, but then also figuring out how to make it work for you in your life for the long term. And that me- that's where this really becomes everybody's sort of individual implementation because everybody has different constraints on their lives. And so paleo is supposed to fit into our lives. We don't, we're not supposed to have to completely adjust our lives to fit paleo. Yeah. And I, I would say too, that nobody's perfect. You know, I remember the first time I heard Rob Wolf say that he ate uh, tortilla chips and I was like, my, I think I almost pulled over the car and, you know, lost it. I, have gone to the store before and bought cheese sticks for my kids that, you know, weren't grass fed. Um, no, they were organic <laughs> because I just, I won't get them at all if I can't find them, um, that way, because I know that it's not, um, a food that is hugely beneficial to our family so much as a convenient food that doesn't bother us. So I draw the line at a compromise of um, organic. But if you go to the store and you're making a choice that you know your husband doesn't um, get bothered by dairy and you're buying a regular block of cheese that has, you know, two ingredients instead of a bag of pre-shredded cheese with 1500 ingredients like that's that's already a better step in the right direction and you know I would just be careful as you come off AIP taking too many steps and and leaps too far can sometimes um put you backwards in your healing and you don't want to do that but um I I definitely just I don't want to ever come across like we uh represent that perfection is good because uh Perfection is the enemy of the good. So definitely prioritize the things that, you know, are important to you based on how you react to them. And then know that sometimes you're going to make choices that are not ideal. Um, But, you know, if it's just a regular week at the regular grocery store and there's not a special circumstance, you know, follow your own standards, whatever they may be. All right. Now I feel like we've wrapped it up. Cool. Cool. 
Well, it was wonderful to chat with you, Sarah, but it was even better to connect with all of our listeners. <laughs> look, look, do you see the what I did there? The most professional show ever. <laughs> Don't expect it next time, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening. Remember, we love it when you leave reviews on iTunes. Um, and we also love it when you shop via the links on our websites because we get affiliate revenue from most of them. And, of course, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Well, I've really written a lot of stuff. <laughs>